You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click Donate. We don't have to reject members of our own family. Instead, this week's saying, it tells us that when we do take a stand for justice, we may be rejected by mother, father, daughter, son, or brother, or sister. And when we're doing so, when we're being so, um, we should stand up anyway. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 222 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast, where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor might offer us today in our work of survival and resistance and liberation, restoration and transformation. Our title this week is Hating One's Family. And our feature text this week is The One Who Does Not Hate Father and Mother Cannot Be My Disciple, and The One Who Does Not Hate Son and daughter cannot be my disciple, and that's Q fourteen twenty six. Our companion texts are the canonical gospels of Matthew uh, ten thirty seven. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Luke fourteen twenty six. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And the extra canonical gospels, uh, the the non-canonical gospel, Gospel of Thomas 55, Jesus says, whoever does not hate his father or mother cannot become a disciple of mine. Whoever does not hate his brothers and his sisters and will not take up his cross as I do will not be worthy of me. And Gospel of Thomas 101, 1 through 2, Whoever does not hate his father and mother as I do will not be able to be a disciple of mine. And whoever does not love his father and mother as I do will not be able to be a disciple of mine. Of all the sayings of Jesus that I dislike and, and that could be, I think, most easily misunderstood or misused or abused... This week's saying tops my personal list, and I I don't like this week's saying at all, if I'm being honest. And I've seen too many young people, especially LGBTQ young people, that have been thrown out of their homes and and cut off or or shunned by their family on the basis of this week's saying uh, to have any kind of fond feelings about it. And whatever the saying, uh, we have to always judge its ethic on its fruit. What's the fruit of practicing one's interpretation of the saying? Is that fruit life or is it death? And if the fruit of your interpretation of a certain saying is death, I say change your interpretation. What could Jesus have been thinking uh, as he gave this teaching that made hate a core part of what it meant to follow him? Well, first this week, let's understand that there's a there's a socioeconomic context of this saying, and it's very different than our context today. We in the modern West, we belong to a very individualistic society, and socially and economically, we're individualist. We're not co- communalists. And for for middle to upper class people, uh, their retirement programs, their insurance policies, and there's other programs and vehicles where one can basically take care of oneself rather than need a world where where there are people taking care of people. And these economic structures um, that we have today, they're designed to work. 
as each individual seeks their own self-interest. And those at the top of society, they've structured the world to benefit them. And in every act of, of those at the bottom of society, it does benefit for those at the top. And people uh, desperate enough to become dependent on the system, they will work their lives away to survive. And, and their survival makes those at the top who benefit from their labor very wealthy. In the first century, Judea and Galilee was more communal. People in that region practiced a a redistributive and a reciprocal economy. Now, redistributive economies, they're economies where third parties like kings or aristocracies, they collect the surplus from, say, producers like farmers, and then they distribute that surplus to others who are not producers. It's kind of like the the rural farmers are supplying the the city dwellers with food. And this third party typically redistributes by directing and controlling labor. Um, They can do it through taxation, through taxing the people, or, or having officials make decisions rather than the people themselves. An example of an economy where rural producers feed urban dwellers um, is is uh, Rome itself, where Rome had a very uh, low amount of food and was dependent upon the regions surrounding Rome that Rome controlled for the citizens of, of the city of Rome to actually survive. And redistribution can be done justly or unjustly. The book of Acts characterizes the early church as a redistributive economy. It's based on it was based on voluntary giving, um, but the gospels characterize the 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 early uh, community of of Acts as those who had surplus bringing it to the apostles and then that being distributed to those who had need. And and the gospels also characterize the temple as a redistributive economy, but it was based on taxation and and market selling. And we'll talk about that more, I'm sure, as these things go on. But reciprocal economies are different. These types of economies were more the the, the rural uh, economies. They were types of economies where those who who belong to families or or even communities they freely give goods or services to each other. And, and yet, as these gifts are being given, and remember they're given freely, the community members keep an eye on the general ebb and flow of the giving to make sure there's a balance of of fairness. People eventually, they either become characterized as givers or takers, and those who give much, they're entitled to receive much back, while those who are known to be takers, they're eventually starved out. Well, families in Jesus' Jewish culture, especially in rural Galilee, they practiced a more reciprocal economy. Uh, Jerusalem, through taxation, practiced a more redistributive economy. But in Galilee, where it was much more rural and much more family-based, it was that reciprocal economy instead. So, so when the Gospels portray Jesus as saying, the one who doesn't hate their father and mother cannot be my disciple, and the one who does not hate son or daughter cannot be my disciple, this saying involved the economic aspects of these relationships. If following Jesus caused a person to lose economic support from their parents or their children, Jesus asks his followers to prioritize his vision for society. And, and everyone, remember that was a society where everyone was taking care uh, of each other, where everyone was taken care of based on their needs and not based on, on their family or their clan or their tribes or reciprocal system. He was, he was casting the vision for a, a new, uh, a 
social uh, uh, model, so to speak. I don't know if you could say it was a new social social model, though. Um, it was still a reciprocal as given to. Well, it was. It was different than a reciprocal economy because people uh, they were taking care of not solely based on their contribution. They were taking care of based upon their need. And uh, so, so perhaps Jesus is saying was much more about communal economics than individual relationships with one's family or tribe. Ched Myers, um, in his book, uh, Binding the Strong Man, a political reading of Mark's story, on page 132, it is important to recognize that in antiquity, much more so than today, the social fabric of the rural extended family was bound to the workplace. Thus, the break demanded by Jesus is not only with economic but with social security as well. And, but, but, but what if this interpretation isn't the whole story? What if Jesus is actually telling us to, to hate our parents or our, or our children for not lining up with what we deem to be morally appropriate? The question we have to ask is, should, should we hate our moms? Should we hate our dads? Um, should we hate our kids because Jesus told us to? Religiously fueled hatred or, or cold-hearted rejection of one's own family, it has a long history in our sacred text. In Deuteronomy, we find this command against daughters believed to not be virgins. This is Deuteronomy 22.20. If, however, the charge is true and no proof of the young woman's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. She's done an outrageous thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge the evil from among you. That's a horrendous passage. This passage reflects the, the author's, I believe, the author's unjust patriarchal economy that relegated women to the level of property or something to be found on your balance sheet. And, and, and yet we must also be clear. It would be wrong for me as a father to read Deuteronomy's injunction and seek to apply it to my children. There is no way around it. Our interpretations of our sacred text, they must be held subject to love and to compassion, and it must be held subject to their fr the fruit of those interpretations in our lives. A friend of mine, Alicia Johnston, some of you have been tracking her story, she recently shared with me uh, in a personal discussion, all teachings, this was her, her statement, all teachings must be harmonized with love and compassion. Teachings that are inherently damaging, that are inherently unhealthy or inherently unloving, cannot make people's lives better. They inherently are not gospel. And as we covered in, in uh, the, 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 when we talked about children against parents, and I'll put a link to that too, um, where, we, where we discussed this at length, um, Matthew's context is telling because it, <clears throat> it's not uh, the Jesus follower who's rejecting their family, but the family that is rejecting the Jesus follower. And it makes much more sense to interpret this week's saying as Jesus calling his followers to prioritize participating in his revolution over and above the rejection of family members. Matthew borrows from the Hebrew scriptures from Micah 7, 6, for a son dishonors his father, a father rises up against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies are members of his own household. So the social location of the intended audience for this week's saying, it really does make a difference. Is this saying telling parents to reject their children or vice versa, who do not align with their definition of right and wrong, 
Or does this saying tell children who are being rejected by their parents or vice versa to remain committed to following Jesus's revolution, even in the face of such rejection? The question is, who's doing the rejecting? And, and that, that word hate, um, it's a horrible word, but it's in the text. Um, for whatever reason you want to justify it being there, whether it's cultural or contextual or whether things were different back then than they are now, all of those statements have been made by, by commentators over the years. But, but th- however you define this saying, remember, it's, it's about a prioritizing. It could be about a prioritizing where uh, basically the Jesus follower is not the one doing the rejecting. They're the one being rejected and, and they're choosing to prioritize the Jesus movement over and above their parents who are threatening rejection if they continue uh, to do uh, to, to, to proceed in the direction that they're moving in. And again, we don't have to reject members of our own family. Instead, this week's saying, it tells us that when we do take a stand for justice, we may be rejected by mother, father, daughter, son, or brother, or sister. And when we're doing so, when we're being so, um, we should stand up anyway. Standing with and speaking out alongside the vulnerable often creates conflict. And, and often it's conflict with one's own family. Um, I know of something, something about this myself personally, as I've rubbed up against my family, not understanding some of the decisions that Crystal and I have made over the last four or five years and those we've chosen to stand in solidarity with. I'm also reminded this week of, uh, Eugene Peterson, who came out in solidarity with the LGBT community and then retracted it after the pushback against him. Um, again, uh, pushback or, or conflict or, or uh, 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 Jesus called it a sword. Standing with those who are being marginalized and oppressed, it creates this kind of blowback. And Jesus is saying, stand with them anyway. Um, I don't believe that suffering is good, and I don't believe that we have to pass through fire and sword to get to a world that's safe, a world that's just, or, or a world that's compassionate for everyone. I do believe that when those that are threatened by a just world do raise their swords and threaten us with a cross, we should stand up anyway, even if those opposing us are our own relatives, our own family. We're not to patiently submit. Rather, we're to to take hold of life and in following Jesus, resist. This is the only interpretation for me this week of our saying that makes sense. More hate will not heal the world. Andre Lord is uh, remembered as, as stating, uh, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. Prioritizing a, a, a just, safe, and compassionate world over systems of domination and privilege, even if those at the helm of such systems are, are one's own family, it, it, doing, doing that makes much more sense out of this week's saying to me. And I, I still would not have used the word hate um, as these translators did. But, but then again, um, I'm reading this saying two millennia and cultures away from its original time and place. And, and what can we glean from this week's saying? Reclaim your own humanity and then stand alongside others who are reclaiming theirs. And as we've stated so often in this series on the sayings of Jesus, we are each other's fate. And I choose to see this week's saying as a, a matter not of hate, but of priority. The difference may be subtle, uh, but we don't need more hate. We need more compassion. We need justice. We need equity. Uh, we don't need more silence. Uh, even if those pressuring us to be silent 
are our own family members. We don't need more submissive patients. Um, take a strong position for yourself and for compassion and justice, even if that stand puts you at odds with those that you still hold dear. And I know it's not easy. I know it's hard to stand for justice when it's your own family members who don't understand. Take that stand anyway. For the one who does not hate father or mother cannot be my disciple, and the one who does not hate son or daughter cannot be my disciple. Sayings Gospel Q 1426. Heart group application this week. On August 16, 1967, at the 11th convention of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference in Atlanta, Georgia, Martin Luther King Jr. delivered the address, Where Do We Go From Here? And in this address, he made the now famous declaration, Through violence, you may murder a hater, but you can't murder hate through violence. Darkness cannot put out darkness. Only light can do that. And I say to you, I have decided to stick with love, for I know that love is ultimately the only answer to mankind's problems. And I'm going to talk about it everywhere I go. I know it isn't popular to talk about it in some circles today. And I'm not talking about emotional bosh where I talk about love. I'm talking about a strong, demanding love, for I've seen too much hate. I've seen too much hate on the faces of sheriffs in the South. I've seen hate on the faces of too many Klansmen and too many white citizen counselors in the South to want to hate myself, because every time I see it, I know that it does something to their faces and their personalities, and I say to myself that hate is too great a burden to bear. I have decided to love, and if you are seeking the highest good, I think you can find it through love. Also in the excellent piece, God So Loved the World by Parker and Brown, they remind us it's not acceptance of suffering that gives life. It is commitment to life that gives life. The question, moreover, is not am I willing to suffer, but do I desire to fully live? If you believe that the acceptance of suffering gives life, then your resources for, for, for confronting perpetrators of violence and abuse will be numbed. Next week, we're going to be discussing Jesus' saying where he tells us to take up our crosses. In Christianity, especially European and North American theologies, they've mostly interpreted this saying as calling us to passively uh, accept uh, suffering, it's the passive acceptance uh, or endurance of our suffering. And we'll be discussing different ways that some oppressed communities have interpreted the saying, take up your cross in different ways. But in light of, of this week and in preparation for our discussion ne next week, what does it mean for you to insist on compassion and justice, even when those closest to you, maybe your own family members even, would rather you just remain silent? Number two, share with your group an experience where you, ha you had to prioritize justice and compassion over the pressure that you felt from people whom you cared about deeply, but you had to, to, to prioritize doing so over the pressure you felt from them. And then number three, how can your group, your heart group, support each other? What are some of the ideas? What are, what are, make a list. What are some of the things you can do when one of your group is experiencing this kind of pushback as a result of, of standing up for compassion and justice? The closer someone is to you, if you're receiving pushback from them, the, the harder it is. In a world that benefits some at the expense of others, it's not always easy to hold up the vision of a world where justice, violence, and oppression are put right. It's even more difficult when, when doing so is, is compounded by rejection from those that you care for. And in moments like these, 
Um, we need each other. Our, our, those that we do, the communities that we do belong to, our heart groups or the family that sometimes we have to choose rather than the families that we're born with, they matter most in those moments. And wherever this finds you this week, right where you are, uh, choose love, not hate. Choose a life of compassion and justice. And remember, you're not alone. We're, we're in this together till the only world that remains is a world where only love reigns. And, and for all of you, remember, who are in near the Asheville, North Carolina area, registration for our free event in August 4 and 5 is now open. Uh, you can find out more about this event by going to our bit.ly link, which is bit.ly forward slash uh, sayings of Jesus Asheville. And remember, space is limited. We're, we're using Eventbrite to make it super easy for you to register and to reserve your place. And our Eventbrite page is Eventbrite forward slash uh, E forward slash the sayings of Jesus, the intersection of faith and social justice tickets. Um, and those are free. Once again, the location is uh, First Congregational United Church of Christ, 20 Oak Street, Asheville, North Carolina, 28802. Um, and the session dates and the, and the times, uh, the first session is going to be on Friday evening at August 4th at, 4, at 7 p.m., August 4th, 7 p.m. Uh, our second session is the next Saturday, is the Saturday after that Friday, August 5th. It's Saturday afternoon at 2 p.m. And then our third session, each one of these sessions will be different. Our third session will be Saturday evening, August 5th at 7 p.m. There'll be light refreshments that we'll be serving. There'll be discussion time at the end of each uh, session. And, and, and we're, we're really excited to be, be moving forward with our, our first 525-1 event, and we'll keep you posted uh, where it, uh, we'll be uh, teaching next. We're going to be, we've got lots of these that are going to be put, being put in the schedule. And remember, we're taking requests for weekend seminars all across the nation. You can request a weekend in your area at our bit.ly link forward slash RHM seminar, or you can go to our website and just click on seminars at the top, uh, renewedheartministries.com. You can find out more about these events uh, at uh, on our news link. Uh, the, you can go straight to our website and click on there. You're looking for RHM 525-1. And there you can also learn how you can also participate in making these events happen. These events are going to be much more costly than our normal events, our, our previous events. And uh, so we're asking for people to partner with us in making them happen. And to, to, to fund our new events, if you're already familiar with them and you just like to support, you can go to our bit.ly link, uh, bit.ly forward slash RHM 500 support. And remember, if you're in the Asheville area, make sure you register soon. We've, we're less than two weeks away and uh, space will be filling up quickly. I love each one of you dearly. Thank you so much for checking in with this week, with us this week. I'm so glad you did. I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.